you're basically making the film for people that don't actually read the books. They just heard that the books was really great. So you can change, you can take liberties and change the story if you really want, because they're never going to go back and actually read the book. How many Marvel or MCU fans really have read the comics? Probably only 10% of people that actually watch the less, films. Less, less. Yeah. Hello, hello everyone. Welcome to Geek Sweat. Uh, I'm Stephen, obviously. This is Hot Topic today, and we're going to be discussing something that I think about a lot, and I brought it up as a, as a possible suggestion for this episode, and it's been taken, so now I think I get to like vent a little bit. Although I'm presenting it, which is a bit weird. I feel like I should be a guest so that I can vent a little bit more, but, you know, that's that's life in it, really. Yeah. Okay, uh, joining me today is uh, on my... Uh, well, it's not left or right because I'm by myself. Um, Trevor, <laughs> hi Trevor. Howdy, Stephen. Thanks for putting me in this intangible space around you. Appreciate that. Yeah. Hi. Uh, what? How you been? Uh, I'm not too bad. Um, I've been enjoying uh, the weather since it stopped snowing and um, catching up on uh, my streaming services. So I've been discovering a lot of new shows and obviously. <laughs> Watching adaptations, yeah. Cool. And uh, my second guest, the guy who um, interrupted my fabulous introduction, is, is MKH. Hi, MKH. Uh, you sound like you don't even want me here. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Sorry, sorry. I put I put the phone on mute now. <laughs> so Good. We, Good. we'll be able to go forward without minimal interruptions. That's it is great. a shame. Yet yeah, you are the host. Because if we we're both guests on this episode, we could have gone head to head on this particular um, uh, yeah. topic. But um, unless, unless we agree with each other, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't know what your opinion is yet, but um, yeah, yeah, I'm happy yeah, to yeah. be a part of um, this hot topic, hot I, out the oven. Have you, have you been good? Have you been good, MKH? Yeah, so uh, about 10 days ago, I had my first dose of the vaccine. So I'm oh, happy to announce oh, I have two. Not one, but two massive penises now. So yeah, that's the yeah. that's the that's the that's the fringe benefits of the vaccine. Wow, um, it's a shame they're coming out of your ass. Well, yeah. well, um, yeah, the first one was coming out of my ass, so it was, it was only is only appropriate that the second one would join it. But um, yeah. yes, I'm quite I'm quite happy with that, and I have to wait another, uh, I guess. Four, four, no, four to eight weeks before I get the second dose. So yeah. um, I'll be licking lampposts in no time. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Nice one. Yeah, I'm quite happy. So what we're going to talk about today is adaptation. Adaptations. Um, I'm very interested in this. And what I'm interested in is what responsibility filmmakers have to the source material when they're um, adapting something say a novel you say you've written a novel and now someone wants to buy it from you um how much how, how much should the author's wishes be respected how much should the um uh readers depending how famous the book is i mean does how famous the book is change how much it um the adaptation is faithful um so these are some of the questions i'll be covering but uh let's start off with um trevor what do you um do you think uh, a writer, when he's adapting a novel or a play or whatever, what responsibilities do you think he has or she has towards the original writer? 
Uh, are we talking a screenwriter? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I I feel that um, it's not sure if it's like a zeitgeist is the right word, but as long as you're attacking the theme and the subject that was in the original material, you should try to create a nuance for the new platform or media that's going to be portrayed in. And so I would take the kind of Alan Moore um, opinion that you shouldn't just do a carbon copy of one piece of material and just lay it on another format. You should do the best to explore the new format in a new way with the old subject. So I think um, writers, if they're really being creative, they should do something different. And I think the best example I could say of this is perhaps Stanley Kubrick and his film adaptation of The Shining as a director. Whereas I think somebody who's been lazy, and I don't want to call him out for this, but I have to, but I think Zack Snyder and his interpretation of Watchmen is a carbon copy of the graphic novel. There is no nuance or any added elements. You've literally got the graphic novel serving as a storyboard with every element. I mean, as a... Uh, in the Watchmen film, doesn't he make the characters cooler than they are in the actual comic book? I mean, they're like kick-ass superheroes, whereas in the comic book, they're going to be more kind of jaded, broken... No, they're jaded from the beginning, because basically, Uh, the the whole point of Watchmen is what what would superheroes look like in the real world, which is Alan Moore's question. So the equivalent of Batman, there's actually two sides to him, which is like... We know Batman wears a costume and fights vigilantes. So the poor version, if you did that on a day-to-day basis, you would turn into a psychopath, which is Rorschach, and you'd have to roam the streets every day, every night, because there's crime everywhere. Or you could be like Night Owl, where you're so distanced from the, the, the world below you, you end up becoming this kind of gearhead in a cave who's mm. like hiding behind technology and kind of emasculating just- yourself at the same time. Sorry, I, I just bit off topic, but isn't um isn't Rorschach much more heroic in the film than in the in the comic book? No, it's the same. It's the same. Okay. No, the only thing I, that no, tra- I was just reading this the other day, and but I haven't seen the Watchmen. The have, you, have, you, have you read the graphic novels? Uh, for a long, long time. But, have, um, you had, have you read the graphic novel? I've read the graphic novel after I watched. Okay. The film. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like. I mean, if you listen to it directly from Alan Moore, I mean, he's heavily critical of what wasn't done in Watchmen. But the only real change is that they removed the octopus um, that lands in New York after the explosion. Everything else is, like, to the book. Okay. And they I cut out the... Question, yeah. uh, hold on, MKH, I'm coming to you. But um, <laughs> Alan, Moore's, Alan Moore's, um has a lot of problems with the adaptations of his source material. Yeah. What is his normal complaint about the adaptations because you're just saying that he likes adaptations to kind of change and to kind of evolve it for the for the um everyone everyone has to do that because else every uh, adaptation of a book would be a like a 24-hour film of yeah. pages coming up on the screen oh no no so I, 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 don't, I, I don't think alan moore wants his stories that he's written told i think he wants his stories oh. reinterpreted with the same characters. So oh, they're doing, doing different things, perhaps along a slightly different timeline. Uh, so because, so because, does that because mean what, that he 
Is he giving his thoughts then on the new Watchmen series, which tries to do that? Um, I don't. I haven't seen his interviews. He has done a lot of interviews lately. And I haven't seen him talk about the new Watchmen series. But if you remember, Watchmen is actually based on alternative 1985, where America wins the Vietnam War. So yeah. if we sit with that preposition, that means Alan Moore clearly would like to see a different version of that being played out in film at least. So Zack yeah. Snyder had an opportunity to do that and he didn't take that because he was basically doing fan service. Whereas, and it kind of succeeded in a way for that generation who watched Zack Snyder's film. But there's infinitely more possibilities to go in a different direction, which we've seen with Stanley Kubrick China. The China, yeah. sorry. Okay, okay. Okay, MKH, hi. Hi, uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, I, I, I forgot I was included in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, MKH, you've just read a book. Um, this is a hypothetical situation, obviously. Um, I don't read. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <I know>. thanks. <laughs> just read a book, and you think that was a great book, and then they mm. they've announced that they're going to make a film of it or a big TV series, and you watch a TV series or a film. What do you expect from that? From a book you love, would you expect it, you know, to be faithful to what you've written, or would you like to see it explored more? Uh, let me just start off by saying, the screenwriter doesn't owe the book writer did once the rights to that book is sold like if if you if you want a creative control of that book once it goes to film you should have said okay you can have this book but i have to come on as a co-screenwriter or the main yeah. screenwriter um but once you sell it you it's a different <laughs> medium as well it's a different medium yeah yeah, yeah. and some things, actually a lot of things don't translate over to the visual form because as you've already alluded to, books are, are very much more detailed than film. Like you get mm. a lot more uh, imagination out of books, whereas I think I like my films to show me instead of tell me what's going on. So that is also another me another element that's missing from film. And I really hate it when fans of books watch the film first of all I, I i still contend that people that read books and people that mainly watch films are completely different animals so you shouldn't even be cross-streaming anyway um so for you to come along now walk into a cinema and blast a a screenwriter a a director a whole production team because it wasn't faithful to my book i really think you should go home poo in your hands and clap because that is the equivalent of what you're doing like it's absolute disgrace i don't think anyone should be allowed to do it and that's stephen king yeah, exactly <laughs> do, yeah exactly and um yeah I, and i'm just thinking of like uh tv series that i've watched that have uh obviously translated over from books so uh the tv show based on the serial killing um blood splatter analyst dexter was based on a book. And, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Darkly dreaming Dexter, I think it was called. Exactly. And some of the things that were in the book could not be translated over to film because I don't think, well, over to TV, because I just don't think, even though it's set in this world where a serial killer works for Miami PD, I think there were certain things that the audience couldn't suspend their disbelief for. So, for example, um, 
the main protagonist or antagonist, uh, however you want to see it, Sergeant Dokes, who's the bald black guy uh, in series one and two, he gets killed at the end of series two. Uh, spoiler alert for anyone. In the book, Dexter lets him go. But the way he's portrayed in the TV show, there's no way that Dexter would have been able to let him go and him not come back for revenge. So yeah. it's those type of things that I think it's great that you're not faithful to the book. And yeah, I think book readers should just get over themselves. Uh, another uh, character that, I, um, that I'm thankful they changed for TV or film is Iron Man, played by Robert Downey Jr. In the comments, Iron Man is a alcoholic woman beater and somehow he's translated over to the mcu into a character a billionaire that people like can you imagine a billionaire that people like so do you think the choice of robert downey jr as a reformed alcohol and drug addict had any influence on the removal of the alcohol element, the alcoholic element of um, Tony Stark, because he would be a natural choice anyway to play Tony Stark, but maybe he wanted that element of his character withdrawn because it's obviously too close to home and he didn't want people asking questions about that, like Krishna Guru Murphy. I mean, they, they got rid of um, Sherlock Holmes's um, cocaine addiction for the Sherlock's TV series. Yeah, yeah. So that might be a similar thing there. Haven't they got rid of Sherlock Holmes' cocaine addiction in every British TV series? Because I don't remember no. the, the t- oh, ITV one. Yeah, I think he quits it quite early in the ITV oh. one. And I think there's a kind of storyline, a bit of a storyline about it, because they wanted to kind of get rid of it. Uh, does he get onto opium at any point? No, no. Um, they, um, with Benedict, Benedict Cumberbatch's version, they make him a, a smoker instead, which doesn't quite work. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I was thinking about the ITV one. The I, I can't remember who played the ITV guy. But... Jeremy Brett. Yeah, that was it, Jeremy Brett. But I think he had an opium addiction. No, no, no. He uh, doesn't? was a cocaine addict. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, right. but, Sorry, MK. Yeah, but, but what do you think about Robert Downey Jr.? Do you, so, did you think they withdrew it because of his real-life background? Absolutely not. I think it was okay. a Disney choice. Disney said we don't want to infest children's... Uh, psyche too early i think disney now when you look at what's happening especially with the disney plus uh ventures i think they are softening their approach to um putting more mature themes in their tv shows so anyone that's watched wandavision will attest to that so uh also i thought the robert downey jr um, Sherlock Holmes was an addict of some sort, or did they not cover that in the oh, guy no, which you he, he's he's a bit, he's the one that's a bit maybe. Yeah, I think yeah, I think the sorry, Robert that's probably yeah. That that's why yeah, I don't think Robert Downey Jr. has a problem with like being a drug addict on 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 camera because okay. yeah, he, it was so open his his um I, I guess uh, indiscretions in in real yeah. life like with the the mugshots and everything. So I don't I don't think that's the issue. Okay. Um. Also, I feel um, writers, because what I don't like as well is when something happens. So like J.K. Rowling. So she wrote these these books. They became... <laughs> the Harry, to any, to any, any, any listeners out there, um, 
Harry Potter books they are. <laughs> you've you've done the Voldemort thing, man. The name shall not be mentioned. I so she, obviously the films came out, and then she saw the reaction to the films, and then started retroactively changing the behaviours of um or the I intention. guess. Yeah, the intentions of the, her characters in the books, which I didn't like. I think they should have been kept separate. And I think that's another reason why she um, decided to take the reins for the Fantastic Beasts series. She mm-hmm. actually came on as a screenwriter because I think she was so precious about that universe mm-hmm. and she just didn't want anyone to change it. And that I, I, I do admire her for that sentiment. Like, if you're, if you're a book writer... Come on as a screenwriter and do it that way. Don't, a lot, a like, lot do. A lot do, to be fair. And they should. Have you got any examples of book writers who became screenwriters? Um, uh, William Goldman? Yeah. I think Stephen King uh, did it recently for Doctor Sleep, maybe, as well. Yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot have tried. In the, or, um, uh, what do you call I, it? I think uh, Michael Crichton, is he another one as well? The, the, right, the writer of... Um, Fifty Shades Grey. Her husband yeah. does screenplays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's just gross. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no. But also with with book writers, sometimes adapting, trying to do a screenplay is maybe a step too far for some of them because yeah. they are totally different ways of writing and telling a story. Yeah. Um, so even though I do support writers becoming screenwriters sometimes it's not always the best move for you guys and sometimes just leave it to the professionals and Mm. just not be so precious about your creation it's like me going to the flipping uh the designer store buying a bomber jacket and the guy say please don't change anything on the bomber jacket when i know full damn well (laughs) i'm gonna go home and throw paint in it and (laughs) and that's the same thing i'm telling you writers once you sell something you yeah. have no responsibility after that. Like you, yeah, you but, just close yeah, your eyes to it. They're the people who buy the rights not have a moral responsibility to the original yeah. right. Absolutely not. Because the first rule of film is to make as much money as possible. So you need to adapt something. No, 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 no. It, it it's show Hollywood. business. Hollywood it's show business, is. Like we can, we can pretend that we live in this airy fairy world where art is the most precious thing, but it's not. We know now Hollywood is all about making money. And that is the yeah. sole objective. And anything you buy, you look at it and think, okay, how much is the return going to be? Uh, like, do you think, um, what's, what's your man's name? Ah, uh, the gangster dude. You think Martin Scorsese's taken on any uh, script that is not going to triple in his return? Yeah. No way. That's why, why he does a lot of remakes as well uh, from the from the Far East. Can we talk about the um the another situation where creativity and commerce clash, where we had the uh, the book writer George R R Martin, who wrote the successful series. He wrote the successful series. Um, again, his name shall not be mentioned, but it ended up being sold to HBO, and um, I think it was David Beinhart, and I'll try and remember what his co-host name were the screenwriters adapting the books into uh, screenplays. Unfortunately, the books, George R. R. Martin kind of took a break, I think it was, and there was a gap between the continuity of the books and when the next screenplay was going to be out to the point that the screenplays caught up with the books 
And George R. R. Martin didn't have the material to adapt in terms of the chronological timeline. And the screenplay writers went ahead with their own version of the HBO series and started writing their own episodes that people got eventually criticised them for because they had lost the original thread of what a lot of the characters were doing. Are you talking about Game of Thongs? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, exactly, that one. Game of Bones. Throne of Bones. Okay. Um, See, with that, I... And you know what? What frustrated me about Game of Thrones is that how religious they try to stick to the source. I think they should have just broke away from the first series. I think they should have added their own creativity. Because like you said, as soon as they they broke away, what is it, like season six or seven, that's when they they thought, oh, damn, like this guy's not producing enough books for us. This is now we've got to actually engage our brain. Like, yeah. It wasn't so much he didn't produce the books, but he just hadn't created that bridge of what happens next by actually doing the books. So they had they had to kind of make up for themselves, but, which is a problem. No, that's not a problem because they're screenwriters. They should be engaging their brains. So they were getting a free ride for the first five series. Yeah. And then as soon yeah. as the books dried up, they're like, oh, oh, what are we supposed to do now? See, yeah. those type of people actually piss me off even more. Like yeah. these type of screenwriters, they're getting a free ride. Yeah. Get, making all this money because it, it was really successful. I, I, yeah. me myself, Do you know what I'm, that is? That's the equivalent of letting your car roll downhill and then realising you haven't put it into gear and then putting the clutch on and putting or put it, any petrol put it, in put it, it. Put it. Put it in first and then seeing it grind up. I thought that George, George um, many R. Martin, um, <laughs> uh, I thought that he gave them a roadmap to how it was going to end so that they could follow it. So what happened to that roadmap? Somebody wiped see. their ass on it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just, I mean, I think Game of Thrones is just, it's kind of what you get if you're going to buy a series before it's finished. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just the ultimate kind of fuck up, isn't it? I mean, they, they I mean, I didn't watch Game of Thrones. I mean, I, I know a lot more about it than I should because I used to read the series, the recaps every week. So I kind of know who everyone is in it. And, but I, but the thing is about the last season. The funny thing about last season is no one seems to have mentioned Game of Thrones since it's kind of died. It's it just disappeared from popular culture. Uh, so it must have been pretty bad, I assume. But I mean, how did it get that bad? What happened to? I mean, this isn't really part of our remit in this episode, so maybe I should steer away from this. But I do find Game of Thrones odd that they could have dropped the ball so completely. I don't think I can't think of any other TV show that, that did it that badly <laughs> so so i think i don't think the issue is that they purchased something before it had been finished i think the issue is that they never thought they would have to engage their brain in this adaptation yeah. of this very successful book series that's yeah. what's frustrating about it so in your uh view uh stephen do you think everyone should be equivalent wreck like charlie kaufman in the film the adaptation oh did, in you, terms did of, you enjoy that i got you to watch that didn't i yeah, I watched it, and you know what? At first, I thought I was having a psychedelic trip. I actually <laughs> thought it was a um, sort of uh, a fight club hallucination. I didn't actually think they were real brothers. I thought he was yeah. imagining himself yeah. really confident, but I, he called that other person Ron. And I was like, what is happening? Oh, no, Don, Don, no yeah. I, I think that's the, the in-joke for Charlie Kaufman himself, considering he's the writer and technically put himself into 
the film. But it, I mean, I mean, there was a real Charlie Kaufman and Donald Kaufman, but to have two of them, it gets them to explore the different sides of um, of that idea. So, so sorry, um, Donald Kaufman is a fictional person. So let's get that person. He doesn't <laughs> exist in real life. But for the yeah. purpose of adaptation of the film, the 2002 of Nicolas Cage, Charlie Kaufman split his personality so he could be the professional writer and the amateur writer and have that conversation on screen, which is fun, particularly if you're a writer or if you're into neurotic Woody Allen-style characters. Okay. Did, did you, what did you think about adaptation? Uh, so I, I... Once I got over... Those trippy <laughs> moments. The trauma. Are you, are, are you a are you a Charlie, Charlie Kaufman fan anyway? No, I'm not. Uh, um, for real. I never I never um I never watched that film. What's it? I am John Malkovich. Being John Malkovich. Yeah. Oh, wait, I, wait, 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 wait. Let me just say a couple of titles just to see if I can change your mind. So you've got I'm thinking of ending things, which came out on Netflix um, last year. Anna which is the stop start animation. Cynic Dope New York, which is probably uh, one of the best films featuring um, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Hoffman. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which is yeah. a Michelle Gondry film uh, with um, Kate Winslet, I think it is, and, Jim, Car- and uh, Jim Carrey. And then you've got probably one of the best spy comedies of all time, uh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, which has got Drew Barrymore, George Clooney, Julia Roberts and Sam Rockwell. Uh, yeah, they all sound trash. But speaking You're about me, man. Adaptation, You're me. no, speaking about adaptation, I after after I got over the fact that they were two distinct characters, I got into it a lot more, and it, it was quite enjoyable by the end. I never knew I needed to see Nicolas Cage in two fat suits, but apparently I did. But my issue is that I think Charlie, him being tortured that he wanted to be so loyal to the the, the orchid. What was it? The real, what was the book? He well, yeah, because to... I mean, if you're a screenwriter, you've got you to have some sort of respect for the original. Why material. do you though? Why do you though? You've been paid. Because as, why, why would you be adapting it if you got no interest in the original source? I like if I was, if I was adapting something, I would just take the, the, the characters of the names that no, the names of the characters and I'll just do my own thing. That, that's all I would do. But why do you know, why not just make another film? <laughs> because, like as an, like I said previously, you are in Hollywood trying to make money. Yeah. Like, but, okay. if, if a book's so, a massive success, because this was based off a New York Times writer. So if this is a, a big writer, a massive success, and you're basically making the film for people that don't actually read the books. They just heard that the books were really great. So you can change, you can take liberties and change the story if you really want, because they're never going to go back and actually read the book. How many Marvel or MCU fans really have read the comics? Probably only 10% of people that actually watch the less, films. Less, yeah. Well, I mean, that's the advantage that um, comic book adaptations have. But what if you take a book that everyone fucking loves? Like, I don't know. Well, what book does everyone love? Uh, uh, I don't know. Oh, Life of Pi. Let's take the Life of Pi. Life of mm. Pi was an award-winning book. It was like everyone loved it. So when they adapt it, I think probably the the bigger your book is, the more pressure you're under to to conform to the book. I mean, because you're talking about money, 
if they made Life of Pi and just kept the characters, the tiger and the kid and the a raft, but I uh, turned it into a horror uh, a fairground, um, it, it, I think people would be pissed off and he wouldn't make the money yeah. that you're talking that you want them to. When you say conform to the book, are you saying to stick with the structure of success, or are you saying to con- to stay connected to the fan service? Like using film as an illustration for novel, as illustrative purposes, mm. basically telling the novel. I mean, you can tell a bad adaptation right away because there's so much voiceover on it. Because mm-hmm. they obviously love love the novel so much that it can be better. You know, they have to put the writer's actual words in it, and that annoys. That that's my big annoyance. <laughs> yeah, Dexter kind of survives on narration um, in that story. Um, the interesting thing, there is there is one adaptation. Uh, I think it's uh, James Salis who did Drive, because that's a story um, which, I mean, there's been two books. There's Drive and a sequel to it called Driven, where you've got a Hollywood stunt driver who's moonlighting as a getaway driver for a bank, bank robbery in the nighttime. And um, the situation with that is, You've got a character who literally doesn't say anything or barely says anything. And a lot of the context and the uh, conflict is going on in his head. And he's playing out how scenes are going to go down or how um, fight sequences are going to happen because of his experience as a stuntman. So you get to a preemptive option of what his choices are before he ends up committing to um, an action. Whereas in the film, he's kind of like a slow... Um, Ryan Gosling plays him as a kind of slow-brooding, um, kind of Clint Eastwood-style character in the Westerns. And I think the interesting thing with Drive, it's, it's very colourful and it's very powerful, but they kept the essence of the character without delving into his um, internal dialogue. And it still works. Um, yeah, I mean, cause, I mean, that's the problem with adaptation is that uh, our book is full of descriptions, so you have to kind of, you, you know, you have to trust your set designers, and and it's, it's a much more collaborative thing to make a novel look like a novel. Can I just say, when the Da Vinci Code starring Tom Hanks was released in theaters, I hardly think anyone read the book. They just heard it was a great book, so no, they could have taken. Everyone read that book. I've no. I didn't read the book. Like they could have took as many liberties as they wanted. What I'm saying is, adaptations are all about riding a wave, the yeah. wave of the success of a book that nerds have have read, and mm. you're trying to now uh, transform or translate that over to another media, which is the visual form. Mm. I could care less whether you were faithful to the book. Just entertain me and make it good. Well, that's a fair point. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, Jim's episode, I agree with where you're coming from. I just don't agree with the way you've expressed it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Thanks. So you, I should work on my delivery, but the sentiment is <laughs> sound. Um, Trevor, uh, any, any more words to say before we go away? And have um, I, I think I'll do it as a recommendation. Um, I think, um, I want to say, is it James Herbert who wrote June? I think yes. um, they're, they're having another go at it. Um, right. Unfortunately, it got, it got delayed because of the pandemic. It's supposed to come out in December. 
of last year. I think it's going to come out in late uh, in the summer of this year. And I think the cast that they've got together, the sci-fi um, premise and the CGI that can now match the idea of what June is supposed to be about, I think it's going to be worth watching. And plus Charlotte Rampling as in it. And I, I, mean, I can't, I, I can't remember a film that I've seen her in that I didn't like. Dune is the kind of thing where the fans would be really pissed off if you don't adapt it right. Yeah, yeah. But the thing <laughs> is, I just feel the problem, if you are somebody who's followed the history of the adaptation of Dune, particularly the, the Alejandro Jodorowsky Dune that didn't get made, and if you watch a documentary of that and how and the prep work for Alejandro's Jodorowsky influenced things like Alien, Blade Runner, and... Um, uh, Terminator, particularly with set design, it's um, it's almost like this has been a long time coming. So June, I think, is a good adaptation worth looking at. I think I, I think the fans of the book would be somewhat forgiving for the amount of time it's taken to come to swing. I think one that might be worth giving a miss is something called uh, Chaos Walking, um, which seems to be like a new franchise on the move where it's Kind of, there's a guy called Patrick Ness, and he wrote a book. But the, the main premise of the film for myself is, um, I think a female character has arrived in a kind of post-apocalyptic world where there's mainly only men, but men's thoughts can be heard out aloud. So the subconscious somehow like that, is like that Mel Gibson film. Um, that's what <laughs> women want, but in what women want. Um, Mel Gibson could hear what other people were thinking, hear what other women were thinking, but they weren't saying it out aloud in an open space. Whereas um, there's supposed to be this kind of symbiotic thing going on where if a man thinks something, this woman can hear it out loud. Uh, and they can both hear it, basically. So it's like their conscience is talking out loud, which if they were trying to hide, it's not good for them because... It, it, people find out where they're hiding. So I, I think that film's going to be really complicated, not worth watching, because it looks like they're, they're trying to turn it into like a romantic action thriller, and I'm not up for that. Okay, then. So there's a couple of, rec- well, one recommendation and one don't go near from Trevor. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Trevor, for joining us today. Cheers and cheerio. Thank you, MKH. Thanks, and I'll see you next time. See you next time, and uh, I don't know. Um, yeah, I think I think we all agreed really that you should be able to do what you want with adaptations, <laughs> but you know, and that money rules. So yeah. there, there's some positive positive lessons to be learned from today's episode. I've been Stephen again, and um, I see you next time. Cheers.